Our scripture lesson today comes from Jesus' little brother, James. Um, uh, he knows his brother so well, and so when you hear uh, these words out of James, you can just hear the words of Jesus through his family. And so over the next uh, five weeks, we're going to look at chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. Today we start out with chapter 1 as we get this Christian wisdom of how to live from James, the brother of Jesus. If you'll share in God's word with me. If you don't know what you're doing, pray to the Father. He loves to help. You'll get his help and won't be condescended to when you ask for it. Ask boldly believing without a second thought. People who worry their prayers are like wind-whipped waves. Don't think you're going to get anything from the master that way. Adrift at sea, keeping all your options open. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. We held the greatest title in the whole world, babe. You lost that fight, Rock, for all the wrong reasons. You lost your edge. Now, when we fought, you had that eye of the tiger, man, the edge. And now you've got to get it back. And the way to get it back is to go back to the beginning. You know what I mean? <laughs> Maybe we could win it back together. Eye of the tiger, man. The eye of the tiger, man. The eye of the tiger. You got to have the eye of the tiger. You, you can't live without the eye of the tiger because otherwise you get soft, you get lazy. You have your titles. You think you're on easy street and the next thing you know, Mr. T comes along and kicks your tail. He knocks your head off. This is 1982, friends. 1982. I was in eighth grade going into my freshman year, getting ready for freshman football. And my best friend, Cannon, and I, we would lift weights to eye of the tiger. We would run stairs. We would punch at each other. I mean, it was awesome. Eye of the Tiger, man. Rocky three. Can you believe that's the third one already? 1982. Now, there's some debate whether three or four is the better one. I like three. I just like Mr. T. And I pity the fool that says I'm wrong. <laughs> Mr. T is awesome. I love Mr. T. And he takes him out because he, he had kind of gotten lazy in his routine. And, 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 you know, and he, had, he had gone through this major loss. His, his trainer, Mickey, had uh, died. He was a father figure to him. And he became lost. He lost his way. And he didn't train. And he didn't work in the same way that he had. He had lost that eye of the tiger. And so Apollo Creed, who he had taken the title from away, his, his primary adversary in Rocky 1 and 2, he comes alongside and said, look, you, you, you're losing but it's not because you don't know how, it's not because you're not capable, it's because you lost your edge. I wonder how many of us in our faith life, in our Christian life, have had had a moment where we were in deep weeds and the Lord pulled us up and saved us and we were on fire because we knew the power of God and then over time we're just like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm still a Christian and uh, just things aren't the same. We've kind of lost our edge, the eye of the tiger. Now I would... 
um, submit to you that Apollo Creed comes and he says, Look, let's train together, let's do this together, and, and we see this power of community. It's not like Rocky was just going to do it on his own. No, it actually took a community around him, a new community, because communities change. His trainer had changed. His father figure gone. He needed another person to come and speak into his life. And so they began to train together. Um, and, of course, as Rocky movies uh, work out, he wins uh, at the end. Spoiler alert, I know. Um, but uh, he, he wins at the end. Now, I would, I would also submit to you uh, that uh, Mr. T had, had nothing on Claudius, the emperor of Rome. If you have your sermon notes, I invite you to take those out. Uh, because Mr. T looked like a sweetheart uh, compared to Claudius. In the book of Acts, we find, uh, in, uh, it's a reference to Claudius in the year 49, that the emperor Claudius in Rome, and you, you would be reminded that, that the sun never sets on the, on the empire of Rome in that day, uh, all the way from Spain uh, in Europe, all the way over to the Middle East and parts of Asia. And Claudius decides that all Jews, all Christians are going to be expelled from his empire, from wherever they are. Expels them from Rome, um, major cities. Now, now, here's the thing, friends. Christianity was so new that the people outside of the Jewish community couldn't even make a distinguish. They couldn't even tell the difference between Jews and Christians. It was just those people, right? So if you're Rome um, and, and you're basically, you worship yourself as a God, all these other folks, you don't care. You just lump them in as a group and you say, no, get out. We don't want to have anything to do with you. So James, as he writes to the early church in the year 49, uh, we believe uh, and pretty much know, uh, looking at the calendar, that Jesus died uh, on Good Friday in the year 33, April 3rd, uh, the year 33. And so this is only 16 years post-resurrection. The church is brand new. Uh, Many people still know Jesus. They saw him. They've lived to tell about it. And so James is speaking into uh, this community who is brand new. People can't tell them the difference between uh, they and Jews. And, but he's speaking, and this is the part I want us to understand because it's really hard in the West because everything's so individualistic here. Uh, the, the folks that, that James was speaking to, he spoke to them as a community. And so, so often when we, we have the great privilege and joy of reading the Bible on our own, but it's not meant to you alone. It's meant to you in community. It's meant to us as a group together to live out our faith. So James speaks not to an individual virtue, but of a community's faith and fidelity to God. In 4980. So the, the key word here is what? Community, right? It's the faith that we live out together. So um, in James 1, if you want to follow along, it's, it's a really easy read over the next five weeks, just a chapter a week. He says this, Consider it a sheer gift, friends. When tests and challenges come at you from all sides, you know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and it shows its true colors. Isn't that true? That when you're under pressure, when you're in an argument, when you're really feeling it, whoever you really are, that begins to come out. He says, so don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so that you can become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. So, isn't this interesting? A lot of times people will say, well, you know, God's mad at me, or I must not be in God's will because my life is hard. And James says, no, 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 friends. When tests and challenges come from all sides, consider it a what? A gift. A gift. Now, I know there's some gifts you'd like to give back, um, but it's a gift. It's meant to train us. It's meant to show us things about ourselves. Think about some of the hardest people in your life, the people that are just on your last nerve. Well, why, why do they bug you so much? Because it's a mirror. The thing that bothers you and them are, are, are almost always the things that you're unwilling to address in your own life. Isn't that true? That the, the things that, that really bother you about someone else is, is, is sort of a, a pointer to, oh, here it is. And so we have these gifts 
of the challenges and problems of our life. And, and so we are to think of these times of pressure as gifts because they help us see ourselves more clearly. That gives us an opportunity to become more like Jesus, more like the world that God intends for us to live in peace and joy. But it takes effort, friends. It's a gift, but it takes effort. So if you're a person that tweets, I invite you to tweet this out. Faith only matures by what it what? endures. Say that with me. Faith only matures by what it endures. If, if your faith can't handle any kind of bump, it's not faith at all. Right? Faith is meant to carry us through things. Faith is, allows us to do hard things. Faith actually requires hard things. Right? Other people are like, hey, love, love the people around you that are really good to you and give you Christmas gifts. That's not hard. What Jesus says is love your what? Enemies. And you pray for those who persecute you. This is hard stuff. Faith, say it with me again, faith only matures by what it endures. And, and if you want to know how to do that, we have to practice off the spot so we can perform on the spot. Isn't that true? And, and if you all, that's what makes karaoke so funny because people get up there and they're not prepared. Right? And you're like, oh, yeah, that's horrible. Right? And so often, particularly as civilians, I think that we don't take seriously enough um, what it is to prepare. Many of us have prepared maybe in sports or, uh, you know, like in a peewee league. Uh, and, and we have some tiny little consequences to our lack of training. Uh, sometimes I see it in more dramatic ways around the marathon. Um, but I wanted to invite um, Mark Witt, a friend of mine, uh, U.S. Army Special Forces, a Green Beret, um, served in Vietnam. And will you all welcome him? Thank you. All right. We good to go? Yep. So I wanted, I wanted to welcome Marcus because um, when I know a, a, just a tiny bit of his story. Um, and the thing that James is saying to the community is that you have to prepare. If you're going to survive the Roman Empire um, and the real threat to your life and your family, and your way of life, um, you have to prepare. And you have to prepare now because you don't know what's coming. And so when I, when I remembered Mark with Special Forces, um, I thought, you know, now that's real training. Um, so how long did you train before you were deployed? A year. A, a full year. And what was that training like? Was it enjoyable? Did you enjoy your training? Well, I have to be honest with you. Uh, when I went through the assessment for Special Forces, uh, it was very difficult. It was not fun. Uh, I probably lost my faith many times during that training. Yeah. Uh, but at one point, uh, the, uh, one of the instructors told about four of us uh, that he was going to make sure that we failed and uh, uh, that we were going to have to go back through that training again. And I told myself I couldn't do it again. I don't think I could do physically, mentally, do it again. And uh, fortunately... The instructor was trying to motivate one of the other people in our group, uh, and it didn't. That's all the motivation it took for me. So uh, uh, I was able to to end uh, get through assessment and on into the regular special forces training. So uh, saved me in many ways. And and as I read about your unit, um, you were unofficial in many ways. Uh, You were in before. Uh, many others. Uh, you were doing reconnaissance. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, why your training was important for the work that you were going to do and what you were going to face. I, I think the key to anything, 
anything that you want to do in life, uh, training's important. Uh, it, in this case, it's a difference between life and death sometimes. For me, the fact that we train so long uh, and so specifically on different things, it allowed us to react due to our training and not due to the fear uh, in, in, that combat brings. Uh, there's no question about it. I, I'll be honest with you, I was scared all the time I was there. Uh, it was uh, an environment that was not fun. We were told initially, well, not initially, we were always told we wore sterile uniforms that if we were captured, the U.S. would disavow any knowledge of us. And uh, unfortunately, we had a very high casualty rate. Thank, thank the good Lord I wasn't one of them. But uh, it's, it was uh, uh, because of our training, we were very successful as a whole in what we did for uh, the uh, U.S. Army in Vietnam and other services. In a few verses, we're going to get to the part in James where uh, James says, you know, you can't, you can't doubt and be, go back and forth uh, because in times like that, in times like yours, it's a matter of life and death. If you have a command um, to get down, uh, you, you better get down. Well, you, yeah, you have to. You, you, the, the training was so instilled in us that you reacted immediately. You, you did the right things at the right time uh, and were able to be successful. And, and training was that key. Just like in sports, if you do everything over and over again in practice, you're going to react and do the same thing in a real game. Yep. Um, and just like you told me in my office, what, what did you do while you were uh, deployed? Where did, where did you serve? Uh, well, we were uh, the uh, unit that I was in was called MACV SOG, which was Military Assistance Command Vietnam Special Operations Group. Uh, in the command area, they called it studies and observation group, trying to kid people about what the unit really did. Uh, but uh, I was at a, an area called uh, Command and Control South, which was in Bami Tuat, Vietnam, which was in Two Corps. But I never, other than one little a tiny mission, I never worked in Vietnam. I worked in uh, Cambodia, Laos, and North Vietnam. Thank you. I know you, many of you all have lots of other questions, uh, and, and Mark will be here for both services in between. Uh, but I want you to know him and know us. Sir, we will show your appreciation to him. Thank you, Mark. I, I really appreciate the, the community that we're in, um, and particularly our servicemen and women, that they understand sacrifice. They understand service without glory, uh, without uh, commendation. Um, they know what it is to live for something greater than themselves. Um, and they also understand uh, this silly analogy that I will show next, which is when you're under pressure, whatever's in you comes out. Isn't that right? right? Some of you have taken a flight and you open your uh, luggage and that's what it looks like. Aquafresh, you know, everywhere. That's, that's what it is. And so this is what James is getting at. Pressure will come. It's not a matter of whether pressure comes in your life. Of course it comes. It comes to all of us at some time, in some way. The, the question is, what's inside of you when that happens? Because then it's for everyone to see. And, and I also, uh, spoiler alert, want you to know that uh, when we die, everything that happens in your life becomes known. And think about that. Right? You, you can hide it today. You might be able to hide it tomorrow. You might be able to hide it for a week or two. Uh, but at the moment of death, every, everything becomes known about you. And so it's important how we live. It's important how we live, that we're people of honor. So when we are under pressure, whatever is inside us pops out. Isn't that true? 
Some of you know this because you're on your way to church to do something nice while you yell at your kids in the back. Hey, quit that. You know, get over here. And, and the thing is, you know, we, we can't pretend before the Lord. The Lord knows it all. And so just, just come on. Be who you are. And, and practice under pressure so that when it's time to perform, you can do it. And sometimes that takes real practice. It has to take some intentionality about being rested and being at your best and, and training uh, both spiritually, physically, so that we can do the work that God calls us to do. So James says it like this. If any of you is lacking wisdom, and we all lack wisdom from time to time, ask God. Remember who God is, that God loves you, that God is generous. He gives ungrudgingly, and it will be given to you. You don't need to worry about whether God has enough for you. God has enough for you. But ask in faith, friends, never doubting. Well, why is that? Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, goes this way, goes that way, driven and tossed by the wind. For the doubter, being double-minded and unstable in every way, must not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Now, if you read this kind of on your own, you can, you can think, wow, well, God's really mean. No, 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 no. No, God is good. How often? All the time, right? He's generous, loving. He wants to bless you. But if you, don't, if you can't decide whether or not you're going to follow him or not, you can go nowhere. It's, it's, in the, it's in the back and forth get, that gets us. Uh, okay, so let's say that we want to go to Dallas. We head down here on Covell to I-35, and we decide we're going to go a mile north. Well, that's to Kansas City. And we think, oh, I better turn around because I want to go south. And so you go a mile south. And so you, you go to Covell, you hang a left, you go one mile north uh, to Coffee Creek, right? And you think, oh, I better turn around. You turn around, you drive one mile south. Uh, where are you? Right where you started. Are you going anywhere like that? No. That doesn't make God a bad guy. It just means we're undecided. And you can do it in reverse too. You can drive a mile south to Danforth and turn around, drive a mile north back to Covell. Where are you? Same spot. But again, that's not God's problem. That's not on God. That's about our unwillingness to follow. Obedience is what moves us down the road. And it is the training in obedience that allows us to say yes to God when the pressure comes. And so James says this. This is the truth of it. It's axiomatic. Blessed is anyone who endures temptation. The blessing comes through that. But you don't do it alone. You do it with your community. No one, when tempted, should say, I'm being tempted by God. And man, do I hear that all the time as a pastor. You know, what is God doing to me? God did this to me and God did that to me. No, 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 no. No, that's not who God is. God is the giver of every good gift. God is generous, ready to share, ready to help you, ready to heal you, ready to... I mean, all we have to do is look at Jesus' life. Look at what Jesus did, what he said, what he taught, how he lived. That's who God is. Jesus is God with flesh on. You see exactly the true and perfect representation of God when you look at Jesus. So, so James says, no, 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 don't say I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted and by evil, and he himself tempts no one. So who does God tempt? No one, right? God does not tempt anyone. That's not who God is. That's the role of the devil, the adversary, to tempt and to pull and to try to pull you away from a good and wonderful God who loves you. And so James goes on to explain this. He says, one is tempted by one's own what? Desire. Being lured and enticed by it. And the problem with desire is when we feed our desire, what do you get? More desire. Right? On, on Friday night with the, with the Bible school kids, I talked about my penchant for Pringles. Right? You pop the top, can you eat just one? If you can, I want to meet you. I mean, I pop that top, and it doesn't matter if it's a little one or a big one. It is gone. It is just gone, right? 
Because I eat one, it's salty, tastes good, and then I eat another one, and then I eat them like four at a time, and then they're gone. Because desire leads to desire. Now, I don't know what your thing is. That's just a silly little thing. But, but some of us have things that are a lot harder than that. But we also know that there's sort of these gateway moments. That this leads to that. That leads to this. This leads to that. Before you know it, you're in trouble. And, and so we struggle with desire that comes from us, not from God. And so James begins to help us understand the difference between desire, what we want, and love, that is what God wants. So it looks like this. Love is directed by what is what? Say it with me. Good. Love's directed by what is good. Desire is directed by what I want. That's the difference. Love is, is by what is good. Now, the problem so often, uh, particularly with young couples that have little kids, is that their desire goes away. But just because of the stage of life you're in. It comes back if you hang through. Um, but, it, you know, there's just this time where you got kids all over and you're like, don't touch me. And the desire goes away. And that's really hard. And so people will actually come in my office and they're like, man, our marriage is in trouble. We don't lust each other anymore. That's what they're saying. They don't know that's what they're saying, but that's what they're saying. That's not really all that big of a problem. You just got to live through it because you have to love one another and do what's good for one another. You have to serve one another. And you'll be okay on the other side of it. But you understand that the desire comes and goes. Desire uh, ha- simply happens by what you desire. So how, how does this work? Some people um, in our church and, and in, in ministry, when I'm in ministry, um, they are worried about their thought life. They're always concerned about their thought life. And, it, and, and, and it's a good thing to think about. But your thoughts are not sin. Uh, say it with me. Your thought is not sin. You're going to have thoughts. It's okay. Thoughts come, thoughts go. And if you have a weird one, just say, well, that was a weird thought. And just let it go. That's okay. The problem comes with temptation. And that is a thought comes in, and then you go, you don't say, well, that's a weird thought, and you let it go. You think, hmm, that's interesting. I think I'll Google that. Don't Google that. Right? So just you stop it. You, you nip it in the bud, as Barney would say, if you know that reference. Um, temptation's about thought and inclination. Okay, so now, now you're interested, you're curious, so you follow up on whatever that thought was. But that's still not sin, friends. You're getting closer, you're getting in trouble, but you're not, you know, really in trouble yet. Sin is the actual um, relenting of your will, okay, deciding to do the thing whether or not it happens or not. And so if you're a lady and you see a, a hunky guy, and you're married, and you think he's a hunky guy, that's not a sin. If you see a hunky guy at church, you think he's a hunky guy, and you follow him to the parking lot, that's temptation. If you see a hunky guy, and you follow him out of church to the parking lot, and you say, hey, I am sexy too, you need to be with me. And he says, I'm not interested, that's still sin. Because it's not about whether the deed happens or not. It's about your heart. You see that? And a lot of people think, oh, I don't sin. Well, no. Well, you would if you could. God's looking at your heart. Does this make sense to you? It's important we understand this because some people beat themselves up all the time about things that are just thoughts, and that's okay. And other people try to let themselves off the hook about stuff they really need to take seriously because it'll wreck their life. And we can't blame it on God because James says every generous act of giving with every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God doesn't change. God is good all the time, right? So who is God? God is good all the time and all the time. God is good. And because that's true, how are we to live? 
James says, we must understand this, beloved. Really, people that he loves. Let everyone be quick to what? Listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, for your anger does not produce God's righteousness. It doesn't. It doesn't. But even not practicing anger takes practice. Uh, One of the more powerful uh, images of this uh, I've seen in the movie um, called The Butler. Looks like this. has demonstrated for us that a brown man in his native land or anywhere that he's being oppressed can pull himself out of segregation with patience, with persistence, with intelligence and thought, with discipline. And a bit of a sense of humor. can't sit here. We would like to be served, please. This is unprecedented what we're talking about, but it needs a patience that none of us have ever seen. You can order food in the colored section, but I'm not going to be serving you here. We are organized. We have a leader with every group. We have lookouts with pocket change and the local phone numbers for ambulances ready. And when one wave comes off that lunch counter, what follows? A whole nother wave of Negro students sitting right there at that lunch counter blowing their mind. We would like to be served, please. Now, who wants to role play? If you've seen that movie, they would role play and role play and role play so that they could sit at the counter and not be angry and not lose their cool because they had practiced. They had practiced under pressure, under pressure of their community so that they could live out into the world a new reality for the very transformation of the world. You see how this works. And that's what church is about. We are to come here and practice love and forgiveness and grace and mercy. And it's that person in your small group that is on your last nerve that Jesus is saying, practice, practice, practice. Because if you, if you can't do it here, you can't do it out there. Right? It's so important that we do that here so that when the pressure comes out there, you can do it. And that changes the world. My mentor, Dallas Willard, uh, taught me this. He says, anything you can do with anger, you can do better without it. Isn't that true? It's absolutely true. Train to do things not out of anger. Say that with me. Anything you can do with anger, you can do better without it. And then he said, and I'll never forget this. He says to me, this isn't on the screen. He said, if there is such a thing as righteous anger, I've never seen it. He was 82 when he said that to me. And I thought about all these times I had righteous anger as a young man in my teens and 20s. And now that I'm almost 50 come November... I look back and I go, ooh, I I had a piece in that too. I just didn't see it yet. And then he said this, all anger thinks itself righteous at the time. Isn't that true? When you get really angry, you don't go, oh, I'm being silly. No, you're righteous about it because you're angry on someone else's behalf, never looking at what's going on inside of ourselves. So anything we can do with anger, we can do better without it, and we must train about that, friends. So, James closes the passage like this. He says, anyone who sets himself up as religious by talking a good game is self-deceived. We're not about talking. We're not about putting Jesus language on everything. No, no, no. We're talking about living it. The kind of religion like that where we talk about is just hot air and only hot air. Real religion, James says, the kind that passes muster before God the Father is this. Reach out to the homeless and loveless in their plight and guard against your own corruption from the godless world. Right? Less judging of others and helping. 
and more honesty about our own walk. That's something people will believe. Because I do think this is true. You know this to be true. People may not always believe what you say, but they will always believe what you do. Isn't that right? They may not believe what you say, but they will believe what you say with me. Do. So our action step for this week is to reach out and to help out. Say it with me. Reach out and help out. Um, And, you know, if somebody is really, you're really struggling with somebody, um, then pray for them. Bless them. Serve them. Um, And and as a community, uh, we'll take the next step for the very transformation of the world together. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you're with us, that you're helping us, that you're guiding us. And we ask that your power would come in new and wonderful ways into our lives. That you would help us see anger for what it is, a trap um, and a foolish game. We pray that you would discipline us in good and wonderful ways, even when it's hard, that we would be able to live for you both here and in the world in new ways, in new power, in new discipline, so that when the pressure comes, what comes out of us is you and you alone, your words, your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness, your power. And we thank you that you've taught us even how to train by praying the prayer you taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Well, if you were around this week, um, you saw more than 200 little ones running around, having a great time learning about King David, uh, Jesus, uh, the son of David, and the Holy Spirit. It looked a little bit like that. And that's amazing. Can you find yourself? I was the one in blue. Uh, it, was, it was great. Um, and we had so many wonderful people. Um, I, Mike Thompson's easy to find because he's like 6'8 over here. And uh, see, right, see right there? Super tall. Um, but I just, I lift him up because like so, he's really representative of most of the volunteers, uh, which, you know, they're hitting their office at 6, 30, 7 in the morning, uh, working all day and then driving up from the city to come be here. Uh, until nine o'clock at night. And I just want to say thank you for every person that volunteered, for everybody who did double duty. Um, because this week, if you sense that a number of the people in the church that you see are tired, friends, they are VBS tired. There's no other kind of tired like it. And so Christy, thank you very much for your leadership in particular. Uh, we love it. It was just a great, great week. And, and the band and everybody else, it was just wonderful. So uh, not only did we gather and have a great time, we also um, raised money. Did we show that already? Yep, $455. Kids brought in change. So all the volunteers that counted the pennies, thank you. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a lot of, that's a lot of pennies. So um, that was great. So we hope you'll give now with glad and generous hearts.